Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am a nutrition and exercise physiology professor, and I'm a bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, uh, founder of StrengthGuild.com, LiftForHope.org, and I'm a powerlifter and Highland Games athlete. And with us today, we've got Dave Tate. Dave, thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. You know, we're going to kind of skip the, the uh, formal interview section and asking you who you are, because I think everybody kind of knows that, and just let you jump right in. Maybe... Uh, you can just tell us what you guys got going on of late, maybe personally and professionally. Okay. Um, I'll keep it brief because, you know, it is it is a website, so it's really easy for people to come see what's going on. It's EliteFTS.com. You know, we're constantly uploading new articles, you know, training logs, Q&As, products, you name it, we're doing it. Anything that's going to help, you know, the a lifter, strength athlete, coach, trainer get better, that's that's what we do. You know, we help you guys get better. So I'll just leave it at that, and then get into your questions instead of a bunch of marketing bullcrap. Nobody really wants to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Great, that sounds good. I mean, that's I think that's what everybody's here for. So we'll just go to the topic then. And you know, number one, people, I had a, a bunch of emails come across, and they wanted to know your take on uh, mental preparation for athletes. What do you have to say about the, the, that topic in general? I mean, what, what what are your tips for an athlete to be mentally prepared? Okay. Um, I'll start by saying from a, from a broad perspective, I, won't, I, I don't even deal with that aspect anymore. The, um, and I'll explain why. The, to me, any sticking point that you're going to run into in, in training, competing, or help business or life. You know, it's either going to be mental, physical, or technical. It's, it's always going to fall into one of those three. Um, the the technical part, you know, I've been in the sport of powerlifting my whole entire life. You know, I love that aspect. The technical part, typically for any sport or any athlete, is going to be the biggest indicator that you actually have on trying to get them to get better. For instance, the physical therapist will have certain tests and analysis that they will do to determine if there is restricted range of motion or whatnot. You know, Lonnie will use blood work to determine, you know, what somebody needs for their diet. You know, if you're a power lifter, you're going to look at somebody's technique and see where it breaks down, and that's going to tell you, you know, if it's physical, if it's technical, and even a little bit if it's mental. So, you know, the physical part, obviously, is the training. The mental part, you know, I quit being a personal trainer 12 years ago. You know, I, I don't want to deal with other, I don't want to deal with people's drama, people's bullshit. You know, it's, I got other responsibilities in my life and all, all these other things. And so I'm in a position now where if I do work with any athletes at all, they're typically going to be at the higher end of the spectrum, which will be either our sponsors or somebody also at the same level, but in a different sport. I don't, I won't take anybody that's a mental midget. I'm not going to deal with that. I don't want to be their shrink. I don't want to be their psychologist, and I don't want to hear about the problems. 
You know, I want to work on those other areas. Now, stepping back into the broad, the broad scheme of things, not everybody's in a situation that I'm in to be able to do that. When you look at the factors that actually affect the ability of, of a lifter, and I'm going to use lifter, but you can superimpose athlete. I don't like to talk about other sports because I don't have the experience working with other athletes in those other sports. So the factors that are going to affect the ability of a lifter, the first one's just obviously it's basic health. You know, they have to be healthy enough to even train. You know, if you're sick, you can't train. You know, if you have leukemia, you can't train. You, the health, they have to have the health to train. They have to have a, the body structure for the sport. You know, and you can call that genetics. It's, I'm, I'm talking more body structure. I mean, you're probably not going to be a world record bench presser if you're seven foot two. You know, it's not going to happen. The, their level of development or their skill level or their technical level, they have to have that to be able to advance in the sport. And that's, that's any sport. You know, I will speak outside my realm there. I don't care what sport you're in. You have to be the more technically efficient you are, generally the better athlete you're going to be. The next one would be what type of personality are they? That kind of plays a role a little bit because if they're, um, if they're an aggressive person, you know, they're, they're going to have to be coached or trained a little bit differently than if they're not an aggressive person. If they're more laid back, that's going to determine, it can even determine what position they're going to be in and, and so forth across the board. The next one down the line would be, um, I call it coachability. You know, some other coaches will call it intelligence. I have I avoid the word intelligence because we we've all worked with some athletes and you know what I'm talking about. They're you know they're not the brightest the, the brightest bulb in the in the lamp, but but their intelligence is great enough for them to be coachable. You know they can be um, poor in academics, but then if you explain to them you know what to do their intelligence is there, and their intelligence is also there in the regard of, if it, say, if it's a squat and they're going halfway down, they realize, oh, shit, my knees are coming in. They're intelligent enough to know, flare out. Yeah. All right, so that, that plays the role there. Then the next, the, the final role would be will and motivation. <laughs> when you look at those six roles that affect the ability to compete as, as an athlete, is the highest level, three of them are mental. So I, I don't want to downplay it in any any stretch of the imagination. You know, when you're dealing with type of personality, intelligence, and motivation, those are if if, if those are not in place and they're not there, this athlete they will never be a good athlete. It will never happen. You know what, Dave? Uh, as you're saying that, I'm thinking there's so many parallels. When I work with guys in a nutrition setting, like let's say on a collegiate football team or whatever, it, when it comes to coachability or personality or whatever, you know, a clinical guy might say compliance, you know, fail to comply or, or something like that. And like you're saying, you don't always have the time to deal with this kind of shit, but yeah. it's the same kind of thing, right? I mean, without compliance, whether it's technical training or to the diet or whatever it is, you're you're not going anywhere, you know. And sometimes people do have the intellect, but because of their personality, 
they won't listen to you. I've known people, you know, who are very bright and they were, uh, I don't know, maybe arrogant or whatever it is. They just won't listen to you either, no. you know. Yeah. So, go ahead. We're lucky kind of being in a private sector because, and, and it depends, I mean, it's because I can pick and choose, you know, who I do want to help and who I won't help and who I want to get rid of and who I don't want, all that other, I, I'm kind of fortunate because, you know, if, if they're not compliant, it's like, see you later. You know, now if you're a coach yeah. of a high school football team, it's a completely different story. No, that's right. I'll tell you what, like, in the past when I've had to work with cardiac patients or something like that, I mean, I've got to meet with this guy whether he wants to or not, you know, and that's yeah. where there's actually something, I don't want to sound like launch into a teacher thing here, but there's that Prochaska model or that readiness to change model. And mm-hmm. for pe- people who are listening, you, you can hold up a ruler and if someone says they point, you know, from low to high, if they, if they, they say they're a three in motivation, well, for Christ's sake, you don't start laying out specific goals for this guy. You know, he, he's not convinced, not near. Uh, so, but if he's real high, and a lot of athletes I've worked with tend to rate higher, of course, then you can start setting goals and you don't have to spend time dwelling on why it's important for them to change and, you know, all the benefits of them, you know, complying with what you're doing. But like you're saying, Dave, it's, it's, it's almost a luxury then to pick and choose athletes who are, you know, not just um, brighter intellectually, but, you know, they're more motivated. You don't have to fool with the lower end of the spectrum on the motivation stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's so many. There, I mean, as you said, you know, speaking when you were just speaking, you know, I was thinking back to when I, when I was a personal trainer and I did have clients, you know, they would come in there. Their priority, you know, is, is training is not even part of their top three or four priorities. And, you know, so I always felt when they came in to see me, I didn't even do an assessment. You know, I put them on a treadmill, have them walk for two minutes. I can pretty much tell if they're going to drop dead or not within two minutes on walking on a treadmill. You know, granted, you're going to take blood pressure. you, you, you got to have the key, you know, things to make sure they're not really screwed up. But <clears throat> so many trainers, when they get that person in, you know, the first thing they want to do is sit down and have an assessment and show them how they suck at everything. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, your body fat's yeah. high, you know, yeah. your flexibility sucks, your strength sucks. So their whole first experience being changing their lifestyle has become a complete negative disaster. Right. Insult. You know, exactly. It's just insult. They know they're not in shape. That's why they fucking came in. It's not like a mystery. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I mean, this used to drive me nuts because you would go to these conferences and everybody would be talking about these assessments and you're looking at all these people taking notes and the assessments and all that stuff, that's great. But 90% of the clients coming to any of these people are going to be people that haven't trained in 10 years. Get them in the gym, welcome them, and fuck them, run them through the machines for a month. Who gives a shit? Get them in the habit of just coming in and not hurting them, you know, and, and enjoying the experience. Then start doing it. But to... To, to go along with what you were saying, if you get that kid that comes in and he is in shape and he's damn determined that this year he's going to start when he gets into um, spring camp or fall camp for football, that's a different story. Yeah. You know, that kid you can bring in, start testing, and say, look, here's where we're going to start, here's where we're going to go, here's how we're going to get there. You know, those are the people, obviously, every trainer likes, but those are the people that. I work that I work with. You know what? I want to go back a little bit to what you said, Dave, about when you're working with people and, you know, you don't just insult them and 
and you know do uh, you need baseline data but i think that's one thing that you do do learn when you're sort of in a clinical setting or a professional setting uh, outside of the private you know whether it's a hospital or university or whatever is you still get that baseline data you still need some idea where they're at strength wise or cardiovascular or whatever it is but you don't have to tell them and you sure don't have to rub it in you know and that's the kind of my my wife's a counselor now and i mean she withholds you know, when she does assessments, I think she's, I don't know her field, I don't pretend to, but I get the feeling that she's withholding about 80% of everything she's writing down, you know, because it's not always in the, in the client's best interest, you know, to be told how much they suck. So it's okay I to actually, agree. yeah, it's, it's okay to write some of this stuff down. You still need some baseline because, you know, then three months, six months, a year down the road, you can start to say, you know, look at the progress we've made. Anyway. I totally agree. Totally agree with that 100%. You know, if you look at um, your field in particular, which I'm not going to pretend that I know a whole lot about, but, you know, if you get somebody that comes in and they're a nutritional disaster as what, what 98% of the people in this country are, um, I mean, if you sit down and lay out everything that they're doing wrong, you'll never make any changes. Yeah. yeah. Because everything's wrong. You know, it's got to be up to the practitioner to decide, okay, here's where we're going to start, here's what we're going to change first, da 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 and so forth. And the, um, in, in a training perspective, a lot of that baseline data can be observed just by taking them through some general workouts outside of vitals. You know, it's, I, I don't, vitals are vitals. I, I need to make that point clear. You know, you need to know that somebody who's not coming in has got super high blood pressure and all kinds of other issues that can happen. It's, but it, it is an important, important aspect. Well, you know, Dave, I can but, tell you, you've got a lot of experience and education because the first thing you started saying was, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not this. I'm not that. You know, I'm not a, a, a physician, whatever. And your role is, you know, unique. But it, like you said, you also sort of walk the line. The people who are listening to this who are trainers or strength coaches, at some point, coaches do play some type of psychologist or motivational role, right? I mean, most definitely. Most definitely. They are, regardless of what they say or anybody say it says, they are role models to the people that they're working with. And that's where, you know, I'll stand on my soapbox and say, if you're a strength coach, you better be training. You know, I'm not saying yeah. you need to be competing in any strength sport, but you better be in the gym training. And I, I like to take it a step further and say, you better be in the gym training, busting your ass. Let them see you do some sets to failure. Let them see your face grin shriek and strain they're not going to care how strong you are because to them you're already over the hill and old you're a coach um, <laughs> it's true you know that's true yeah. yeah what they want to see is that you're dedicated to training and if they don't see that you're you're going to lose some not all but you're going to lose some of your authority in the ability of of getting concepts passed to these people you right know, there's now, nothing wrong longer, with being a I was just going to say, there's nothing wrong with being that war scarred veteran. You know what I mean? You can still get a lot of respect from someone, you know, whether you're 40 or 50 years old or not. You know, and most definitely, you can always, in my opinion, the way the way I approach training is, you know, I may not be the strongest, I may not be the biggest anymore, but ain't, nobody's going to fucking out train me. Right. Hey, Dave, how old are you? Do you mind if I ask? Four, uh, 43. Okay. Yeah. But my my training age is like 89. 
<laughs> you know, I always <laughs> joke, it's like that Indiana Jones flick. Uh, she says, oh, you know, something about his age. He goes, it's not the age, sweetheart, it's the mileage. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's I did. I did my first. I did my first powerlifting competition when I was 13. And I did my last one in 2005. Yeah. yeah. Well, wouldn't you say? Going back to the mental side, I mean, you know, one of the things I've seen, you can have a genetic freak come in that's just not mentally into it, and then yep. you'll have, you know, a guy that's a little behind the eight ball, but is just mentally, you know, prepared and just 100% confident. I mean, I. A lot of times I'd take that person that's just in and mentally stable and just ready to go do this um, over um, that guy that's not in it. But I I can't pretend that I know what's going on at Westside now. I haven't been there since 05. You know, in the 12 years that I was in Westside, I, it was like an insane asylum in my opinion. You know, the, the people I trained with were out of their mind freaking nuts. Yeah. Um, so from... Uh, a mentality standpoint, those are the type of people that I like. Yeah, I like the people that are so out of, you know, so out of whack that they have to be, you know, kind of screwed down instead of the people who, instead of the people who are, who are under, you know, the, the people who are under drive me nuts because I was, I, I, I came in, I was in that environment for so long. You know, when, when we had those people that would end up coming in the gym, um, it just drove us nuts, and we did everything in our power to get them out yeah. because a rotten apple was going to ruin the whole fucking bunch, you know. Yeah. And there's, I mean, we, I, I remember one time distinctly, you know, somebody unracked the bar in the monolith, and then he wrapped it, and he looked at us and said he lost his confidence. And we're all like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> First off, you admitted that, which is fucked up, but how did that happen? You know, how does it even happen? Get out of here. You know, I don't want I don't want this shit rubbing off on me. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it does, you know, and it, it, it's bad enough when you're in a sport, you know, with veterans and you got a lot of guys that are trying to overcome injuries and come back from injuries and there's a whole mental process associated with that, you know, that you got to try to work around and at those times you got to find ways to get somebody to push where they may not otherwise push, but at the same time, you know, there's a big risk in doing it. Um, what the, the, the guys that I that I think Phil's talking about and that I'm talking about would be, you know, another example would be a guy who, um, uh, man, it, say I'm a multi-ply yeah, guy, a powerlifting guy. I don't pretend to like <laughs> raw lifting. Cool, I like raw lifting, but I'm just like NASCAR and multi-ply lifting with me. I love the big shit, you know, the multi-ply guys. Um, I can't stand the guy who, you know, takes the bar out of the rack, he starts squatting down, say he's squatting down fast. But then he gets about halfway to where he's supposed to be, and then he comes back up and then he says something like, oh, my suit's too tight, my legs are falling asleep. And it's like, dude, no. You know, I've been watching this for 20 years. People usually, if they sit down, you know, it, they start to slow down when their stuff gets tight, then they stop. Try to get more and then come back up. This is just bailing because he can't stand the pressure in his head pushing him down. And right. if you can't take the yeah. pressure, get out. Yeah. You know, especially with gear because it feels like your head's going to blow off. Right. Yeah, I suppose you know, I mean, th that's one of the things where experience comes into play. You know, you're not going to read in a textbook that kind of nuance. As a coach, you're sitting there watching. You're like, dude, you're making excuses. 
you know, totally. instead of, instead and of digging usually. deep. And you could, to, if somebody didn't know any better, a rookie might go, well, all right, adjust your suit, man. Whereas Dave says, get the hell out of here. Don't rub off on me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, pretty much it's, that, that's what it is. And usually that same guy is going to be the guy who's going to have excuses for everything. Yeah. You know, the, the, the best athletes, lifters that I've dealt with in the gym are the one that you really don't know that much about because they just come in, do what they're supposed to do and leave. You know, and they're also the same people that would run their head through a wall if, if it meant they were going to get stronger. You know, it's and, funny that you said that. When my brother and I used to train as undergrads, that's what people used to say. You guys don't say anything. I'm like, what would you like me to say? I'm not here to chat with you. You want to break out a little China cup, tea, tea, you know, tea time with everybody? What are you talking yeah. about? You know, and they're like, oh, and it's funny the kind of respect that you get just when you shut up and, and train. I, I don't know. Like you said, I think maybe role modeling Maybe one of the single most important motivational uh, factors that a coach can, you know, um, exude. I agree, and it's. I don't want. I don't want people to misunderstand that. You know, if you got the guy that is, I call him the mental midget. You know, that's a mental midget. There are things that you can do, training wise. You know, say the example of the squat. Have him squat on much higher boxes. You know, then over time lower the box. There are a lot of things that you can do to help them overcome that fear but what happens in in small group type environments is to to be able to do that is going to require more time you know of the coach which is not fair to the other five or six people that you're trying to help so the whole session is being spent working on one person while the other five that basically that whole session was a technical waste that's what i call it a, a technical waste zone you know, if somebody's technique isn't being watched on the main list, to me it's a, watch, it, it's a waste of a training session because technique is, in powerlifting, to me, technique is the holy grail. You know, it, it's everything. You know, just squat down and stand up. That shit don't cut it. You know, you don't see people do that that are squatting 1,100 pounds and 1,200 pounds. Yeah. You know, and if they did do that, something seriously is going to go wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, so I'll tell you what, Phil, thing. if if it's good with you, let's take a brief break, um, yeah. and then we'll get back. I want to ask Dave a couple of questions also regarding the mental side. We've talked a lot about training. I, I'm, I'm curious about individual sessions. But before we do, I've got a couple of thank yous. Um, the following people, just over the past couple of weeks, they've stepped up, and as we have in the little ad that we run here on the podcast, and sort of supported better programming you know internet programming for uh you know strength athletes and bodybuilders but so the following thank you 50 times sean uh somaba i hope i'm pronouncing that right kenneth jesse jim who is the owner of the gym where i train thanks jim daryl uh lonnie haven't met too many lonnie's but thank you lonnie jill glenn and john you guys are uh Hugely supporters, you know, of Iron Radio. You're hugely appreciated because of it, and I just wanted to kind of give you a shout out. So, thanks, guys, for uh, you know, kind of supporting our, you know, public radio type model, if you will. So, okay, let's go on to some messages, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us. We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio 
uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on iRadio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hello everybody, Phil Stevens here for ironradio.org, strengthguild.com, and chadakes.com to tell you about the Strength Refined Seminar with myself, Phil Stevens, and Chad Aches. Saturday, September 24, 2011, CrossFit Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Strength Refined is a one-day course in refining your technique and proficiency in the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. It's going to be a long day. We'll squat, we'll bench, we'll deadlift, we'll do a Q&A, and then we're going to go heavy and go eat. For more information, go to www.strengthguild.com, click on the blog, go to Meets and Seminars, click on the Strength Refined Seminar, and it's all there. Hope to see you there. All right, we're back. Uh, we're back with Dave Tate. Uh, if people haven't been checking our Iron Radio listeners page on Facebook, um, Dave, uh, I got a, a couple of questions for you. Now we've been talking a lot about training, per se, and what what are the you know factors that go into successful athletes. And you were saying that three of the six are are mental. Uh, I'm curious about how you prepare for the gym. Uh, how far out? I mean, I don't want to give you any specifics just yet, but maybe just open ended. How do you prep uh, for the gym? Okay. Um, you got to keep in mind my training now is totally different than what it was when I was competing. Well, maybe so, maybe give a little of each if, if they differ a lot. Okay. You know. When I was competing, you know, it, it was different because I'll use the example of Friday was our dynamic squat day, and for me that was the biggest, most important day of the week because, first off, I liked it, and it was probably the most demanding. So the way that that prepped for that was it actually began after the max effort bench workout ended on Wednesday. And that would be, you know, restoration. You know, I worked in a health club, so there would be hot, cold therapy, that type of thing. Everything from that workout till the time I got on there was trying to get all the soreness out that I accumulated from Monday and Wednesday. Um, as far as, you know, being in the gym, you know, I've never really been one of those guys that, you know, is going to drive to the gym with his radio cranks a thousand, you know, trying to get all psyched up for the lift because it's pretty, I mean, it's pointless. You know, it's, my biggest problem as a lifter was, you know, there is an arousal curve and there's a point of over-arousal. My biggest problem was that over-arousal in the gym. So I, So to prepare for the training and for me, I tried to do everything I could possibly do to not even think about it, you know, rest, recover, heal, and just don't even think about it. That way when I get there, 
you know, it starts cranking up just because I love what it is. And at Westside, I had to have, and it took a few, it took a few years before Louie tuned into it and everybody kind of tuned into what was going on. But there's a big difference between a competitive state and a training state. And for most lifters, from a, from a lifting standpoint, it's usually going to be about between 5 and 15%, you know, of what their lifts are. For me, it was big. You know, because I can I can flip the switch and I'm a completely different person. You know, and they gave I had a nickname Zippy, which was that other person. So he was we called him Zippy cards. I was only allowed to use three Zippy cards a month. You know, in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where you check out. So a lot of times, what happened in the gym is sometimes they thought it was funny. You know, because I, I'd miss a lift and get all cranked up, throw 50 pounds on, and then make it. Um, whereas other times we realized that. You know, just from a, a central nervous system and neural standpoint and everything else, this is detrimental to your training because it's extremely hard to recover from. It's like doing a meet every single week. So people like Todd Brock, Bob Young, some of the other people that I trained with, if it was a dynamic squat session and they saw that I was starting to cross that line, um, and we did this with other lifters in the gym as well, we would do something to throw them off guard. For instance, if you're walking towards the bar, we say, wait, 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 the bar's not loaded right. You know, then all of a sudden you gotta, you gotta stop and you gotta be like, fuck! You know, but it gives you that one second, then they'll say, calm the fuck down. Then you're like, okay, I got it. Because you, you know you're that type of person. I mean, you gotta, first off, you gotta accept it, you know? You know like, Dave, uh, I would think that for that to work, you'd have to have like a prior sort of social contract that that was gonna happen. Because otherwise, I'd be afraid that someone like you would just, I don't know, eat my head off down to my shoulders or something. You know what well, I mean? Most, like, I, I think, yeah, I think stopping a raging know. bull probably not a great idea. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think most guys know because they know the negative consequence of what can happen. You know, yeah, from yeah, the, yeah. The, the the most minor thing that can happen is just going to be harder to recover from. You know, the major thing that can happen is you're going to get hurt. You know, because your, your your mind will take you beyond what your physical capabilities are. You know, and somebody kind of has to tone that based upon where your current strength is what your competitive strength is, and where you're at now. You know, that's, the sport's already brutal enough because you're, you're training with maximal weight and, you know, you're doing pretty much the same movement week in and week out for years upon years upon years. So overuse builds up and everything else. So their intelligence has to be in there as far as how to scale back and when to scale back. And usually it's the, it's the people that, cross that, you know, that cross the line of Volgapol is another good example, you know, that we really had to work on, let's reel it back, let's reel it back, let's reel it back, and then at a meet, you know, let's push it forward, but only to a certain extent, because if you push it forward too much, you know, you get under the bar, and then all of a sudden what you've worked so hard to make automatic as far as technique, it kind of goes out the window, because you're shaking the bar and you're doing all this kind of crap to get ready. And you've completely, you're not letting your body just go in autopilot. You know, when yeah. it's, when it is a maximum lift, I call it just, it's confidence. You know, you can get psyched up, you cannot get psyched up. I don't care what somebody has to do, you know, to be able to be confident that they can lift the weight. But when they grab the weight, they better be damn confident that they can do it. Yeah. Or don't do it. You know, I, I, I'm not, you don't want this, I'm gonna see if I can do it. I'm gonna give it a try. Fuck that. Don't get under it. Yoda. <laughs> do yeah. or do not. There is no try. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you got to. 
because there is there will be a point, you know, that it might get rough. Yeah. You know, and if it gets rough, you're going to have to strain, and you know, straining through a hard lift isn't the most pleasant experience in the world. I personally kind of like it, but it's it's bad all around. You know, it's bad when you're doing it because it takes forever to happen, and you think everything in your body's going to break in half. And then after you do finally say it's a squat again, say you do finally stand up with it and you finish it, all right, that's when it gets the worst. It's because, like, oh, shit, I made that, but that took everything I had plus more. What the hell am I going to do to get stronger now? Well, now, exactly. Now, that's what I wanted to ask (laughs) both of you guys is, so, like, I talk to bodybuilders, and and they differ a lot regarding – whether they go balls to the wall or they leave a little in the tank, right? There's sort of this ongoing debate. But it seems yeah. like in power training, power lifting, if you're in the middle of some kind of progression, you've got to bite bite the bullet and pull back on the reins, right? I mean, otherwise, you're, you end up like you just said. You've just sort of blown your wad halfway through, and now, you know, the whole system of, you know, these calculated numbers and percentages is just out the window. Is that right, or am, yeah. I, am I off there? I'll let Phil go first. No, I think you're right. I mean, okay. that's I think that's uh, something that I I had to learn going on. I mean, I'm I'm much like Dave that I gotta I had to learn to back myself down because all I was doing is getting myself injured if I'm training balls out all the time. Um, I, I come in the gym and I gotta be quiet. People see me at meets. I'm the guy sitting over in the corner not saying a word um, because it's just I get too amped. I'll get to the point that I'm too shaky and. You know, I've, I've blacked out a couple times and stuff like that just by getting too amped up and, and waste that energy. And in training, yeah, I mean, I, I was just going too much, too often, and, and it led to actual regression instead of progress. So it was learning how to keep those reins on and just, um, like like Dave was talking about, building that confidence. Even though I haven't touched this weight, when I walk into a, uh, to the platform in a meet, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm going to pick this weight up or I'm going to stand up with this weight. Right. I mean, that's that's not an option. I think that's a commonality mm. with even with, with power bodybuilding because I don't do that either. Like, I know these are silly numbers for you guys, but, you know, if I put 405 on the bar, you know, I'm going to do that for – I know I'm going to do that for six. If I can get seven or eight, I might just go ahead and do that. You know what I mean? Because it's a little bit different, I think, than, a, you know, yeah, very strict progression. Different, but, it's different. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I never I, – I would never put – 495 on the bar, which is a crazy, crazy heavy for me, and think, will I get this? I would never, never do that, right? Like you were saying, Dave, confidence yeah. is, is is essential. I, it never crosses my mind even for a moment, and I bet it doesn't with Phil or Rob either, that I might miss this lift. I mean, well, with, I, you know, I can't even pr- compete that. I don't know. From a strength perspective, the way that I kind of deal with that now, you know, as a coach compared to when I was a lifter, is I approach things a little bit differently. You know, when I was a lifter, I didn't I didn't have what I would consider an off-season or downtime. You know, it was pretty much running all the time. You let yourself get a little weak, but you try to keep it within 5 to 10% of where your maximal strength was pretty much at all times. With the people I work with now after a meet, I don't want them squatting, benching, deadlifting, or putting anything on their back or anything heavy in their hands in a, as a barbell for eight weeks. I want them to get weaker, you know, and that's where I'll put in a bunch of hypertrophy training and everything. And I, I assume that their strength levels are going to drop between 10 to 15 percent, maybe even a little bit more. Um, I want that. You know, that's it's, it's not optimal, but what I do want is full recovery from the meat. 
I've, I've had enough injuries over my career. I've seen enough of them happen, and I think I know why. And yeah. uh, I don't want I don't I want to be able to take the lessons I've learned and be able to to help other lifters with that. It when seems like in, it guarantees progress too, right? Because I mean, if they if like one step back, so they can take three steps forward. I mean, let get a little yes weaker on purpose, no. right? Okay. Yes and no. Okay. It depends. It depends what you do after that, and that's where where a lot of the mistakes are made. I got really hurt basically doing this same concept before coming to Westside because when you start your training cycle again, you think that you can still squat what you did in the meet. All right? So it becomes a very frustrating cycle. So what you think is 50% is really 65. And as that builds up, once you hit 75, it's really 90. And then you're wondering why you can only get three reps when you are programmed to get five. Okay, so, so what, do you do, what do you do for that? What, what I do at the beginning of the – I build an extra four to five weeks into the program, and I basically call it a transitional or catch-up time. <clears throat> During that time period, all the programming I do is based upon what I call a perceived rep max. <clears throat> so if, if I want them to be in that 60% range for three sets of five on max effort work, I still use a conjugated approach, but I do use percentages in, in the system with, you know, the max effort type stuff. If I want two sets of five at a 65 at that top weight, what they will do as they're working up is they're going to gauge how they feel. They'll go 135, 225. Once they start getting up there, you know, say their best is 405, usually by about the time they get to 225, 275, they're going to know, you know, what I think maybe I might be able to hit 365. And then if that can be validated by a training partner or myself, okay, look, fine, you're right, it's a 365. That's what we base the percent on. So we avoid going up into that 90% greater range, but we're still making sure that we are within 5% of the training percentages that I want. And then over the six weeks, they catch up. Their strength begins to come back. And then once you start to make a final push, you know, through the competitive phase, their strength is there, and you can, you can get closer to working off their competitive numbers because of that. So it's, it's, it actually was used, to, I, I learned that from uh, Spazov years ago, you know, reading journal articles or whatever it is with the Bulgarians. He did a lot of, you know, perceived max type training, you know, coming back from long breaks to avoid overtraining and injuries. And it's also good mentally because they never feel like the weights are really heavy. Now, to touch on your bodybuilding perspective, um, the since leaving the sport, most of my training has basically shifted into bodybuilding-type training. Um, it's easier on the joints. I mean, there's a lot of other factors involved. And um, some, of the, some of the best gains that I've made as far as that type of training has nothing to do with the amount of weight that I'm lifting. You know, when, when you get older, you get beat up, you move dumbbells slower. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I, I can, if I'm going to do lying flat dumbbell presses, I can make – three sets of eight with 75 dumbbells extremely hard. Or I can make three sets of eight with 120s really easy. You know, it's how hard you flex and how, you know, it's tempo and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. To me personally, your muscle fibers don't know the difference. Right. You know what I'm saying? They don't know the difference if it's a good day or a bad day, right? You know, that's something, actually, that's something that Fortress will say all the time is, you know, he can make lighter weights look much heavier and I think sometimes you'll see young guys in the gym too. They might look over and they'll be like, 
why is he doing that? You know, I thought he was stronger than that. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's, that's yeah. a hard you know what? to fight. Bodybuilders got to really watch that, though, because they need to check their ego at the door because when right you're on. bodybuilding, you need, to, you need to train that muscle. You know, it's not about training that compound movement, getting the bigger bench. You know, a, a lot of bodybuilders won't even bench press. You know, because of that reason, it's two shoulder tricep dominated. Yeah. You know, and it's I've, I've had this conversation many times about like the, the Smith machine and sh- you know all these different machines and all that. I can't believe you do that. Why? Because it stabilizes my shoulders, kind of takes my triceps out of it, and lets me totally isolate my chest, which I'm trying to train. Right. You know, or I no, it's do, it's a good point. I'll you know, tell you what. It's just just recently I started kind of go in the opposite direction. You guys might smile at this, but I used to do, you know, body part splits, you know, and write down in my journal religiously what I did, chest, you know, arms, whatever. Now I force myself, I write push, pull, you know, that kind of stuff, press, whatever. I And I try to think about the, the movements more than the muscles. And that's like a huge transition for me, but it's kind of the opposite of what you're talking about, Dave, how you kind of, yeah. you know, you're yeah, going back. I actually... I actually look at it opposite, but we look at it the same way. You know, if, if, it's, if it's a power lift, I look at it as training the movement. You know, you're trying to make that yeah, movement stronger. Yeah. If it's bodybuilding, you're training, you know, the muscle, um, yeah. which is what you're trying to make bigger, you know, not necessarily stronger. Um, with being stronger, there will be some size increase, but... Only to a certain extent. See, I agree with you there. There, there yeah. seems to be two schools of thought. One is, I mean, even in bodybuilding, is one is you get strong to get big. But I've always been more about being what I sort of jokingly call a tissue assassin. You know, I train, I trash a muscle group, I get it really scorching sore sometimes, whatever it is. But it's not just about strength as the avenue to size. You know, and it sounds like you're saying the same thing that size is not purely about strength. They do uncouple at a advanced level, I think, you know. Yeah, I mean if it was, the people who have world record squats would have the biggest legs. Mm-hmm. Right. You yeah. know, and that's yeah. not even close to being yeah. true. Johnny Jackson's legs would look better than Jay Cutler's. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, mm-hmm. it, it's not it, it's not it's now I do think that there's there's probably and I don't know what it is there's probably like a minimum requirement. You know what I'm saying? Like the driving age is 16. Like the bench age should be like 315. You know, right. I don't know because it, it's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of newbies will take it the wrong way and say, you know, my, my 95 pound bench, I'll just go slower and flex harder. It's like, nah, dude, it's, you're, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. you know nah, what I'm saying? There's, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, there's either, either there's like a, like a minimum strength or maybe years training, you know, it's, it's pretty simple, you know. If if you're not progressing forward in what you're trying to improve, you got to change what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 not that complex. It's not that complicated. Bodybuilding becomes a little bit a little bit tough. I mean, both sports are tough from a mental perspective. Bodybuilding's tougher, but in a whole different regard. And that's yeah. that it's 24 seven. Yeah. You know, and I've gone through with Justin and. Well, Shelby's wasn't that bad because I didn't get that lean. Um, I've got down where I was ex- extremely super lean, and I know how bad life sucks when you get under 6%. Oh, yeah. I you know, I, uh, I think that's even worse when you're a little bit older. When I used to get down around 4% fat, when I was like 22, it was more fun. Uh, when I did it this year, I don't know. I had injuries. It didn't go away. 
you know, less energy, less energy and stuff like that. It just, it wasn't as fun. I don't know. I agree well, with you. 100%. I mean, your brain doesn't even work right, and you got, you know, 45 minutes of cardio to do. You don't even want to get out of the chair to go take a piss because you're too tired <laughs> to even get out of the chair to take a piss. So you sit there for two hours until your next meal, and then you have to get up to eat, take a piss. Then, um, <laughs> I mean, every it, 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 it just sucks. Yeah. Well, hey, oh, but. Okay. You, you can't, you can't break, you know, you, you've been that far, you can't break. Right. And even the training, um, it's, so, you know, I'm, I'm just making a change because I'm, well, I'm 35 years old and going in for a hip replacement. So it's like, man, I got to go for something and I'm making the change to training more bodybuilding style because I have to have something to chase. Even the training just wears you out and isn't as fun. Um, you know, going in there and making, making 60% feel like 90. You know, it's mentally freaking taxing when you, you're so used to going in there and making 90 feel like 90. It's like, I just moved some shit. Right. And, here's, uh, here's you know. the best advice I can give you from going through it. And you're probably in the same thing because you spent a lot of time powerlifting and then you're doing strongman stuff and so forth. If you really think about the strength sports, strongman's a little bit different. But if you really think about powerlifting, pretty much everything you do in powerlifting is limited is a limited range of movement. Yeah. The way we bench press, it's a limited range of movement. You know, you're arching, you're talking, you're trying to create the shortest stroke. The way we squat, the way we pull, we do floor presses, we do board presses, we do pin presses. You know, our tricep extensions are JM presses. You know, we don't do any type of curls whatsoever. If we do, it's forearm curls. So in all those years, we haven't actually fully extended and contracted a single joint at all. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, it's right. true. So then what happens is you stop, and then you go, and you're like, okay, I'm going to start doing some bodybuilding training. You're like, okay, shit, I'm going to do some dumbbell rows today. And then you grab the 60s, and you're like, what the? You're used to doing dumbbell rows where you do like the crock rows, you know, like these little short yeah. pumps. So then you're like, okay, I'm going to stretch this thing out. And then you do a big stretch and you pull it up and it's like, what the hell? I can only do 50 pounds. <laughs> you know, and your yeah, ego no. just gets completely exactly. pounded. Like, like what happened, man? I was doing twice this when I was in high school. I stuck. And <laughs> what, what I did, which was, um, the advice of the, one of the a chiropractor I trained with named Ryan Smith, was, you know, we kind of changed the program where we said, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to find the exercises that you're capable of doing the greatest range of motion on. Pull downs, um, dumbbell rows. Uh, I couldn't do a barbell curl because I couldn't turn my wrist. Um, easy bar curls. And all you need to do, you know, is just the basic stupid three sets of ten, which seems to be the programming for everything, um, on all these movements three times a week. And just only worry about getting from point A to point B and stretching as hard as you can. And after probably four months of doing that, all the pains that I've accumulated and had to live with throughout most of my lifting career were gone, except for my shoulder, which is, needs to be replaced. So that's, that's never going to go away. Um, but all the other stuff, forearm crap, you know, that you deal with day in and day out, Gone. Um, so anybody making a transition from a strength sport into that, that's kind of the advice that I give them. Is you can't just jump straight into bodybuilding and then mimic, you know, the bodybuilding videos on how you see Ronnie Coleman train. You know? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. You, you got to give yourself some time where you're going through those big ranges of motion and don't worry about the weight 
the what I did to not worry about the weight is I, I did my sets for time, either 30, 35, or 40 seconds. And it didn't matter how many reps I did, that's how long it was going to last. So a lot of times if I went too heavy, I'd have to hold it. You know, if it's a curl, I'm holding it at the bottom for 15 seconds oh, yeah, okay. to make sure I get that whole time. And it's not time under tension or any of that kind of bullshit. It was to control the weight, and it was to control my mind so I didn't know how big of a puss I really was because I've never done anything <laughs> for 45 seconds before. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you don't even know if you're good or bad. And not yeah. only that, I didn't know anybody else who was doing it. So everything I was doing was good. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. That it kind of bring that kind of brings us back to the the topic, <laughs> yeah. which, which is you know mental preparation for this kind of stuff. So you were talking about when you were training before, and the clock's winding down on us a little, but we have time for one yeah. or two more questions. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you do? What do you do now? Okay. I mean, do what you do have do some kind of a a ritual? If it's not coffee and heavy metal or something, is there something you do? Or, or I mean, especially with this whole change now. of gears, right? Probably for the first time in my life, um, <clears throat> my training really, I, I don't care how strong I am. I don't care at all. And that's probably the first time in my life. I'm, at this point, I'm indifferent about it. You know, before I was either excited because I was getting stronger or I was pissed off because I was weak. Now I'm just indifferent. Um, I'm training because I love to train. I, don't get me wrong. I've always loved to train, but it was training to compete. There's, there's a hard time when you compete for 20-some years and then you stop competing. You know, that's, mentally that's a very, very hard, difficult thing to deal with. Now, finally, I can get, you know, that enjoyment out of it. So what, what I do now is I don't do my own programming at all. You know, actually, John Meadows has been doing that for a year. Um, I completely took that off of my plate. Because, because basically I have a business and I have a family. I don't want to worry about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't even want to think about it. You know, I'll think about it when I open the door and I walk in. I don't even look at what the training is until I walk into the gym. You know, then I'll pull the sheet out and I'll look at it and I'm like, oh, shit, this is going to suck. Um, <laughs> then I go about doing it. This doesn't sound very um, I, motivating, Dave. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes they do suck. I mean, his training's hard, man. It's it's the hardest stuff I've ever done in my life. Um, but I love it. You know, that's the challenge. I love to try to, you know, to get through that. For the most part, what I do try to do is my training is scheduled. I train every day. You know, that's I do something every day. Uh, weight training-wise, that's five days a week, and then, you know, the cardio is whenever the cardio is. Uh, my training will happen sometime between uh, – it has to be done before five. All right? Usually it's going to happen sometime between three and five, but I have to be home for the kids and family and everything else at five. So I know, you know, mentally if I wait too long, then I'm doing, you know, a boatload of supersets, and the workout is pretty much pointless. Um I do – I don't need to be motivated to train. You know, I love doing it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not – it's a hard question for me to answer because everything that I've ever got in my life that I feel that's, you know, a value with – hell, I met my wife in a gym. So, you know, I was going to say with the exception of my wife and kids, has come about because of what I've done 
and learned in the weight room lifting weights. Yeah. You know, and not so much the numbers I lifted and all that, or the people I met. The, the values and the principles that I learned in these four walls, you know, that's what made me who I am. This is who the fuck I am. Right, you're a lifer you know, now. Right, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'm always going to be in here. You know, I can't do these short programs. You know, I can't do 20-minute programs. You know, I think Jim's got an amazing, awesome program that works great for people. I could never do that. I would go insane. You know, you only train three days a week for a half hour. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, I, I would kill myself. I look forward to being out here every single day. That's never gone away. You know, the passion that I had when I was 13 doing it is still the same today. This right. is the best part of my day. I love it. And during the week, it's, it's awesome now because there's nobody out here when I come out here but me. You know, the weekend there's groups of people, so it's, it's still great, it's awesome, it's, and all that other kind of stuff. But there's something about that I, and it's probably because I've never had it before in my life until, you know, actually just recently, a couple of years. There's something about training alone that I, I love it. I'm sure you can't do certain things because of spotters and whatnot, but it's awesome. You know, that motivation I don't need. It, you, know, you know what it I, sounds I, I like to me? It sounds like you look at this. I think we talked about this once before, but what I had an old professor and he said at some point he was like 70 in his 70s and he, you know, he was a cyclist and he did it every day. And he said, you know what, Lonnie, this is like personal hygiene. You just do it. You don't feel right if you don't do it, you know. Yeah. And when I, when I hear guys like you talk, that's this has become like hygiene in a way, like a shower or something, you know. Well, it's, you know, for me and probably for and I, I use the word meathead as an asset, not a liability. Um, you know, for me and, and other meatheads, you know, it's, you know, I think back to, you know, any tough time that you've ever been through. You know, say your wife's going to leave you or, you know, you, a family member dies or whatever it is. You find solace in the gym. Oh, yeah. You know, and I do. I mean, it's great to be around family and everything else, but then it's just it's drama, 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 drama. You know, in the gym, you can connect back with yourself, and you find that solace that you're looking for to help give you strength to get through, you know, to be stronger for those other people in your life that you're there for and that you love and care for. You know, the gym does so much for us meatheads that we take for granted until you're actually stuck in those situations, and you're like, wow, you know, it sucks. You know, sometimes you got to force yourself during those hard times to go train, but then you realize once they pass, man, that was really what helped, you know, yeah. deal with all this. Yeah. Phil, what was it that uh, Bill Pearl said something about, I, uh, I give 23 hours to other people, but I'm taking yeah. one for myself every day yeah. or something like that, you know. So. And you know what, that one hour is how you give 23 hours to those other people. You know, yeah. otherwise when you're with those other people, it's going to be all about you. You know, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? You know how, you know, I, I, what strikes me is how opposite what you're saying is compared to someone who's a non-lifer, somebody who's, you know, might just be getting into things. And, and maybe some people are born into this kind of stuff too. I, you know, I can kind of see that as well. But a lot of people might look at their hour in the gym as a have to or an expenditure. And here you're talking about it like it's recharging your batteries. It's kind of the opposite, I think, what a lot of Americans probably view exercise, you know? It is. You know, it makes me a better business person. It makes me a better father. It makes me better across the board with with everything. And, 
you know, and not everybody has the same passion. You know, some people it's probably golf and, you know, riding bikes. You know, it, it's it's something, you know, that I, at least I hope everybody has something. You know, if not, they, they should really find something. And because that, you know, it changes your whole perspective on on life, you know, because of it. Now, don't get me wrong. I love getting stronger and making gains and all that other kind of stuff. But, you know, I've started to see, um, you know, this whole training process more is kind of like a, um, a, a quest of mastery. I don't know, something stupid like that, you know, of how it really helps and so forth. Because, hell, we're all going to get older, you know what I mean? You don't yeah. see very many 250-pound, 3% jack bodybuilders who are 70 years old. <laughs> right. You I'll know? tell you what, though. Bill, Bill Pearl looked damn good right up until, you know, he's 80 now. And I'll tell you, that guy could still put 315 on his back, or he did it until just, you know, not that long ago. It's amazing, you know, how good you can, in fact, look. But, no, I, I get your exactly. point. Totally, if yeah. You, if, yeah. You, if you maintain it, it's, exactly. You know, I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, just from, a, you know, a, a health perspective and everything else, you know, what it does for you is great, especially, you know, I have a terrible family history, so I'm always fighting, you know, high blood pressure, cholesterol, all this other kind of stuff, and, you know, if I slack even a little bit, bam, 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 you know, all those things start to, you know, go all out of rat, you know, out of whack again and so forth. But like I said, motivation wise, it's never, I've never had the problem. I mean, the, 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 the fear is, you know, what do you do if you can't do it? No, that's true. Yeah. I know Phil feels you know, like that too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the scary thought is, you know, what, what can replace it, you know, and, who knows, you know? Well, you know, I, th- I think Phil, actually, Phil, I think you have one of the healthiest outlooks on that of anybody is, you know, you, you take that aggression and you, you, you just, you're, you got to change what you consider a PR, you know, find a new yeah. personal record, you know, like for, for you, maybe it's going to be leanness for a while. Exactly. And, you know, and that's what it is. It's just finding that there's so many avenues in the gym that you can take that all you yeah. can do is pick another one. There's, there's always something you can do. PRs are so fucking overrated anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Every I, it, it happens on our side. I'll make fun of my own guys. You know, everybody's breaking a PR every other day. It's like, how the fuck does that happen? It took me five years to break a bench PR. What constitutes a PR? You did one extra rep. Yeah. I call that a good day. That's not a PR. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, well, I never did it with this grip before. Like, whatever, dude. It's not a PR. With this grip. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah. Stupid. You know, it's, you know, it's, you can put a thing, we put things on Facebook, break any PRs today, like 150 people. PR, 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 PR. I'm like, man, the country's getting strong as fuck. It's like, what the <laughs> hell, you know? <laughs> Maybe you need to set your challenges a little harder, you know? Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, the value you ascribe to one more rep, right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're I mean, setting the bar a little higher for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you always got to set it. I'm, I'm the, the way. I guess this would actually, yeah, actually, you pulled this out. This actually would answer the question: is all my training, as far as I guess motivation, goals, PRs, and all that, it's always time based. All right, I'll have different phases of training, and I decide whatever those are. You know, when, when the other ones are done. But, you know, right now it's a, it's a dieting phase. I love the challenge of dieting down and training. I don't necessarily like how I look when I get down there, 
but the process to get there is brutal, and I love it. I love that challenge. But I do know, second week of September, it's done. (laughs) You know, if if I'm leaner than I was before, great. If I'm not, great. Either way, it's done. You know, we pull out, and then we're going to try to actually work on trying to maintain my body weight for the first time ever and, you know, not let it get completely out of hand. Um, That's how I've had to do it since since I retired from powerlifting. powerlifting right. I think it's healthy to change gears, right? You, it, it, starting to value something new. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think that gets away from some guys. Like, you know, I think a lot of people at my local gym, they're probably stunned about how I w- the way I was talking after I competed. I'm like, you know, I'm having fun putting some fat back on, getting stronger again. They're like, you're getting fatter. How is that fun? I'm like, no, you don't yeah. get it, man. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. strung out. I was lean. I met my goal. Now it's time to do something new, you know. So you know, for me during for me during the fall and holiday season, I can't. There's just no way I can. Not not because of the cookies and the cakes and all that other kind of crap. Just because of the number of work hours that I have to work and the things and responsibilities that I have during that time, I I can't devote as much time. I can't do two hours in the gym and 45 minutes of cardio every day. It's Mm -hmm. just time wise, it can't happen. You know, but during slower times like now, I can do that. So I kind of work them in that way, you know. So fall comes, we break it down, change the training, and, you know, increase the calories a little bit and pull the cardio out. Right. Yeah, actually, I think one of the best comments that I got when I was so strung out competing this past spring was, was it John Meadows? Somebody said, and I need to thank him for this, he said something like, uh, you know, congratulations, you know, just for getting in shape with, you know, being a professor and, and your second business and all that crap that you do. And I thought, you know, thank God somebody sees that. Like you're saying, sometimes you just don't have the time, you know, to put in because you've got other important things going on. And I mean, I don't yeah. want to sound like a cop out, but, you know, it, it's just a simple fact. It's so it's, it, 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 it's a whole different ball game to compete or to get in shape or to meet some kind of goal, go for a PR when you've got some serious responsibilities at the same time. Yeah, you know? and, it's, and it's, this is a good point because it ties into the training as well because, you know, as you move through life or I, I, different professions have different, you know what I'm saying, work different hours and so forth. You know, because the training takes up so much time now, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my work days are going, you know, into 11, 12 o'clock at night. You know, so it's not like yeah. you stop working to train. You yeah. have to find it in there, and you, it's a give and take. You know, it's a balance. And I don't think you can ever really find a full-time balance. I think things are always going to be a little bit out of balance. You just move what's out of balance around. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how I do it. You move it around with each phase. Right, yeah. All right, I think we're out of time. Yeah, that sounds good. Thanks a lot, Dave. All right, real quick, man, you guys are doing a great job. I love what you're doing. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Dave. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of 
sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.